This is the Chronicles Podcast, a production of Chronicles Magazine, the original outlet for paleoconservative thought and a bastion of the authentic right in America. Welcome, everybody, to a special episode of the Chronicles Magazine podcast. Uh, some of you may know that there was a slight review, so to speak, of Paul's new book that he edited, The Paleoconservative Anthology. And it was interesting, and it provided uh, an opportunity for Paul to give some of his feedback. And I know Ed wants to say some things as well. So, Paul and Ed, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having us. All right, let's 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 start with Ed. Actually, um, why don't you give some context, uh, you know, for this for this piece and why you thought it was worthy of a conversation? Sure. Well, this review uh, appeared in uh, Law and Liberty, as you said yesterday. It was called uh, Revanchist Revolutionaries um, by a, a guy named Michael Lucchese. Um, and it was a review of uh, Paul's, the anthology that Paul edited, the Paleoconservative Anthology, which is here, right? Mm-hmm. And um, he he introduces, a it's, it's a critical review, negative, and says that um, his, his closing line here is that inspiration should be sought elsewhere. And he critiques um, paleoconservatism as a failed ideology, unpopular. And provocatively, he he calls paleoconservatives, of which I consider myself one, Paul came up with the term, but he calls them um, right-wing Marxists, which, which is an interesting attempt to uh, frame us as a, as a species of Marxists on the right. So there's a, a variety of things that are wrong with that. And, um, you know, Paul was really involved in these wars in which these terms were forged, in which, um, you know, after World War II, um, conservatism changed, the neoconservatives uh, took over, and the conservative movement in America changed. Um, But before, and and, uh, Paul, maybe you should just set the stage by just talking about what is a neoconservative and what is a paleoconservative, just to, uh, for people who may not be familiar with those terms. Yeah, I I think though it's it's sort of important to point out that some of the things that Lucchese attacks us for, I think are generally accepted. Uh, There was a piece by um, Victor Davis Hanson in American Greatness today, in which he said that, you know, the metric for oppression is no longer race or gender, it's class. There's a class war. That's going and and that this is you know Victor Davis Hanson is on Fox News every night. Uh, one of the things that Lucchese holds against us is that we suggest there's a, co- a social conflict going on in the United States, right, mm-hmm. between predominantly white working class people who hold traditional Christian values, uh, traditional views of the family, and uh, uh, sort of the plutocratic left, the the, the woke corporate capitalists and so forth. There, there is a class war going on in the United States, whatever else is happening. But uh, the, 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 to get back to your question, I think the term neoconservative becomes popular in the 1980s um, when there is a shift, a dramatic shift in the conservative movement from um, you know what it had been since the 1950s. And from the 1950s on, it was a coalition of anti-communists consisting of libertarians, social traditionalists, Southern conservatives and others who were sort of held together by the glue of anti-communism. Uh, and the most important figure in the movement, um, the, the, the most important politi- political journalistic celebrity in the movement was Buckley. 
and the the organization the movement was largely grouped around National Review, which was founded in the mid nineteen fifties. Um, what what happens is that anti communism becomes by the end of this this period the only thing, <laughs> and uh, the uh, those on the right who are anti communist but basically something else, like social traditionalists, southern agrarians, whatever they are. Uh, or even libertarians like Murray Rothbard are going to be pushed out of the movement. And the Buckley allies himself with what are basically social democratic and uh, center-left uh, anti-communist. Um, and uh, th they come to define in times what the conservative movement is, and they identify it with a crusade, a world crusade, to bring human rights and something like American democracy, as they understand democracy, to the rest of the world. And you can still see their influence, which is very strong in, from, in foreign policy. The conservative movement uh, in its media manifestations is entirely neoconservative. I mean, sometimes someone like Tucker Carlson or Pedro, you know, will, or you will argue against this. But I, I think the, the, uh, the normative of foreign policy is still neoconservative. But there is a, there's a lot of resistance to them that comes from conservatives, not necessarily leaders in what had been the conservative movement before, but people who identify with conservatism, either of the of the 1950s type um, or Southern agrarianism or interwar uh, isolationist conservatism. All these, these forces, what's left of them come together and they form what becomes a paleoconservative alliance. Um, right. well, one of the one of the um, uh, the points this guy keeps, the, the reviewer keeps harping on is that, you know, all paleoconservatives are Sam Francis. No, they are not. Uh, Francis is a brilliant social critic. He identifies as a neoconservative. There were neoconservatives who disagreed with him. Um, I think Robert Nisbet is a neoconservative. Kirk, when his wife left him alone, you know, expressed neoconservative ideas. Uh, there were there were others. Uh, Burnham was was definitely a neo a paleoconservative, although he didn't define himself as such. But um, the the idea that these people are always unpopular, always losers, is is untrue. Uh, they simply find themselves on the outs because the people who take over the movement have a lot more money, a lot more influence, and they can work to more better together with the establishment, whatever the political journalistic establishment is. So the paleoconservatives are going to be sidelined. Um, by the way, nobody's asking this guy to uh, feel inspiration. I do, we did not work on that book to inspire anybody. You know, <laughs> we were simply describing the history of paleoconservatism. Well, that's that's one thing that I noticed um, right there in the <clears throat> one of the opening paragraphs. He he said that you know part of our the impetus for this book is to chart a new course for American conservatism, but this is actually charting the old course. Yeah. yeah, but we do suggest, you know, that the old course could become the new course. You know, I in, in my introductory essay, I say that there are lots of young people like your age, you know, who are influenced by paleoconservatism, but may go off in a different direction, but you yeah. know, still, still are, are going to uh, inherit the the legacy of ideas associated with the paleoconservative side. Yeah, yeah but... there are two claims that this guy makes. I think that we should probably address just sequentially. <laughs> he first of all says that the paleoconservative, which he calls Buchananism, is unpopular. And, you know, the last couple elections showed that. I think that overlooks the fact that Trump came to power in 2016 
and absolutely destroyed all his competitors in the Republican primary by running on a paleoconservative platform, which he says vehement opposition to free trade, higher immigration levels, and an interventionist foreign policy. This is popular with the public, both left and right. And, um, and to say that this is unpopular, well, in essence, Trump failed to fulfill the claims that he made. I mean, he ran on the rhetoric, rhetoric of paleoconservatism, but when he was actually in power, he failed to actually carry out many of the things that he said he was going to do, like many presidents do. But, you know, he lost a lot of support and people kind of saw through his bluff and bluster. Paleoconservatism in, in a, a MAGA, you could call it a MAGA platform or an American First platform or a uh, Buchananite platform existed long before Trump. Mm -hmm. And his his election 2016 showed how popular he could be, you know, how popular a candidate running on those principles can be. So, I mean, that's the first thing. I, I do want to get back to this idea, which I think is provocative about, you know, he says, calls us, repeats throughout right-wing Marxists. And, you know, there is a sort of um, superficial um, half-truth to it in a sense. Mm -hmm. You could see it if, if you're really on a superficial level because, you know, paleoconservative is a popular movement that tries to appeal to, um, say, an exploited proletariat, mm -hmm. um, at least partly on economic issues, although cultural issues is another lead part of it, but at least partly on economic issues and, you know, one that argues for the replacement of our current, you know, ruling elite with a more just and responsible elite, which actually serves the people instead of exploiting them. So, you know, but there are other ways, um, you know, and, and the, other, the other way you could say is, I mean, well, there are, there are so many other ways that it doesn't, the Marxism label doesn't fit, though, because you know, paleoconservatism, as you pointed out, is not universalist. It's actually ironic that a neoconservative, which is what this guy essentially is, whether he's neoconservative or establishment conservative, he writes for the National Review in his bio, other, um, you know, conventional credentials in his bio. Um, it's it's ironic that as a neoconservative, he's calling us Marxists because the neoconservatives came from the Marxist movement. They're ex-Trotskyites. That was the intellectual genesis of their movement when they started. And they have this universalistic, uh, evangelical or messianic need to spread the American way, um, the principles of the American founding um, across the world, whereas paleoconservatives are actually regionalist and want... Um, separate communities to be able to organize themselves along their own traditional principles, right? So we don't want to enforce our viewpoint or the American way or say the, the Yankee way or the, the Southern way or the Western way on peoples who don't want it, you know? So, I mean, the, also the, we're not really, um, you know, I wouldn't call us collectivists either. I think pure libertarians might call, think of paleoconservatives as more collectivists. And I'd like to get what you think about that, Paul. But I think we are closer to a distributed model where authority goes down to this, the lowest level of localism. Um, on the other hand, we're not classical liberals either, where, you know, we've, we've been um, in opposition to the classical liberals in, in some way, the same way the Catholic integralists are where we think that uh, a lot of the principles of the Enlightenment era classical liberalism, the egalitarianism have, you know, and the Civil Rights Act um, in America and in other countries has gone too far. And it's forced sort of these diversity 
inclusion and equity um, initiatives to a point where it's ruined the natural right for um, free association mm-hmm. um, and forced, you know, forced all these groups together and, and, and every single institution of, of American life or Western life, whether it's educational or corporate or um, any, every institution is, has these federal laws for inclusion and equity imposed upon us, which is very artificial and stifling, you know, so we're, we're against that as well. But Anyway, Paul, what, what do you think about the charge of, I, I want to explore this thing about right-wing Marxism either, about um, collectivism or others. Do you agree with what I've been saying or anything you want to add? Yeah, no, I, I, I think there, there is uh, a certain just limited justification in what this fellow is saying in a very clumsy, um, generalizing way. Um, I think paleoconservatives, for one thing, are less obsessed with anti-communism than the neoconservatives. The neoconservatives are obsessed because they're just as revolutionary as the communists. They're like the communists, as you point out. Yeah, they're <laughs> so, spin-off. You know, they're, they're, they're rival revolutionary groups. Whereas I think paleoconservatives would say, you know, the communists were a nuisance at some point, or you had to oppose them. But, you know, the what makes the Chinese uh, uh, a problem is not that they're Marxists. What makes them a problem is that they're aggressive nationalists. <laughs> you know, it's a, a very different. Pro- so we, we are not as absorbed in the ideology or rhetoric of the Cold War as the neoconservatives. And the neoconservatives have come to power, you know, as the leaders of that cause. They're fighting for democracy against international, against communism. So we, we don't share that. I, I think we're also. Um, less anti-Marxist in the sense that we don't call, kill, run around calling people Marxists all the time. This is, I never, you know, unless you tell me you're a Marxist and you sound like a Marxist, I'm not going to call you a Marxist. So uh, the same way the I, left calls everybody to their right a fascist, you know, right, a fascist. So they call everybody Marxist uh, yeah. or fascist. They also use the word fascist sometimes. So we we don't we don't engage in um, that that kind of rhetorical abuse. Uh, so that I think the, the other thing is, I, you know, I, I think that like Marx, we are able to be critical of capitalism uh, mm-hmm. from the right. And, you know, Marx himself was influenced by Catholic counter-revolutionaries in the early 19th century. So not, not everybody who's critical of capitalism is, is on the left. There are people on the right. Fascists were very critical of capitalism. Well, it, it's also interesting because Irving Kristol said he was only willing to give two cheers right. for capitalism. Right. So, That's I mean right. – this is par for the course, you know, for, I mean, this, this is a mainstream acceptance of, uh, you know, you don't have to be the most ideologically libertarian free market. Um, otherwise you're a Marxist. I mean, that's kind of ridiculous. Yeah. But of course, of course they themselves accept a welfare state. I mean, they're hypocrites too. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, this was my criticism of Jonah Goldberg's, uh, liberal fascism, that you're a liberal fascist. If you want to expand the welfare state beyond the point at which he accepts it, he accepts yeah. everything we've done until now, but he doesn't mm-hmm. want you to do any more. Then you become a fascist, right? A liberal <laughs> fascist. I mean, they're, they're not calling for uh, uh, dismantling the welfare state, these free market capitalists and uh, neocons. And so they're quite happy with it. Um, they, uh, they just want to be able to shape it themselves. So uh, what, what distinguishes us is not that they're for the free market and we're not. Um, it is that we're more critical of the establishment than they are, which is which is a different point. In the other critique, you know, I'll just say that the other critique he 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 mentions as well is that the idea that we are 
um, Marxists, right-wing Marxists, because we are okay with using state power or the administrative apparatus, which the left has built against the left. We want to fight fire with fire. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the real problem with the conventional neoconservative movement and even say the mainstream left libertarian movement is that it doesn't offer any real challenge or critique to mm-hmm. the current power structure, except rhetorical. Other than that, you know, he'd like his his wing of the American Uniparty to, to be in power rather than the neoliberal one. You know, the the paleoconservative view is that in practice, there's there's only sort of a marginal difference in economic policy or foreign policy or or any 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 policy between, say, the Obama administration and the George W. Bush administration. You know, both both are for continued foreign wars both inflated the currency um, to the point where it's nearly destroyed, bankrupted the country. And, um, you know, and, and it's totally, um, it's totally okay. and offers no challenge to, to corporate, to corporate power as well. Mm-hmm. So all these, these guys are, um, you know, that's why, all, as you said, Paul, all the money and institutional power and influence is really, is really on that side. You you can make a good career, make a lot of money, and there are plenty of institutions for you to hop around to in the Washington D.C. area if you're either a neoconservative or neoliberal. Whereas the paleoconservatives, because we are trying to represent um, really the interests of the majority of the population, the common man in America, against the entrenched elite power, we actually don't have the institutional power uh, or money or funds available. So. Um, we we consider ourselves as fighting the virtuous fight out in the wilderness, which we can cast out on principle, um, where it's a very it's a very easy life and a mercenary position to be a, a neoliberal or a neoconservative. You are not going to make any enemies in the uh, in big corporations or mm-hmm. the defense industry by taking those positions. Yeah, the, the, other, the other thing I would say is that the paleoconservatives are in fact you know much more radical um, in trying to change the political order. Um, I mean, for instance, be very happy, you know, to shift power um, from Washington to Emporia, Kansas, to have uh, uh, regional government, to take away all the power of the central government, if we could, yeah. you know, to go back to this sort of co- communal model or, you know, a, a, a more decentralized form of self-government. We're entirely in favor of that. But, you know, cutting some corporate tax is not going to make any difference. If that's what their free enterprise is, they do not offer you <laughs> much of an alternative. And as you pointed out with the libertarians, what you're getting is mostly rhetoric. You know, there's no way the government is going to um, simply abolish itself uh, in such a way that we go back to the sort of individuals interacting with other individuals as the basis of our government and economy. The other thing that he brings up too in, in Sam Francis is, you know, by implication, calling us all racist. So let's just talk about that because, you know, if, if, and also if we oppose the Civil Rights Act, doesn't that make us all racist or whatever? I mean, the, the points that Sam Francis was making was about, I mean, he very predicted um, 30 years ago how an- the, the rhetoric would become anti-white. And he's been proved right about that. Mm-hmm. Over and over again, it's it's way worse now than it was 30 years ago. Um, whites get the blame for everything, and you know he was pointing out then that all these other racial groups can start. You can start an NAACP, but if a white group tries 
you know, as some have to try, try to start a, 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 an advocacy group for, for, for whites. I mean, they're immediately seen as, as white supremacist or terrible or, or, or whatever. You know, our position is simply that all groups, all races should have the ability to free associate and to defend themselves in their own interests. We're not about hating other races, but we also don't want to be in a position where we're apologizing. No, no group should feel forced to apologize for being oppressed race within within the American system. So, I mean, that that's that's our viewpoint. And as far as you know, if if Francis uh, said some things, especially later in his career, when he may have been bitter from being ostracized mercilessly by the conservative establishment, that doesn't reflect paleoconservatism as a whole. You know. Yeah, what, what I would what I would point out is that the the attack on paleoconservatives as racist is an attempt by the neoconservatives and conservatism incorporated to use the rhetoric of the left to attack those who are on their right. Yeah. Uh, you know, having hung out among paleoconservatives, I've never noticed them being rabid racist. On the other hand, you have perfectly uh, you have establishment conservatives like Dinesh D'Souza. Uh, who make racist remarks. I mean, they, they, you're allowed to do what they appear on Fox News later on. Um, if you're important enough, like Charles Murray, you're allowed to talk about IQ differences among races. They don't ostracize him, right? Uh, he's moreover, attacked by the left, but he's not within the right, yeah. Right, yeah. More, 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 moreover, the the basic differences with uh, between paleoconservatives and neoconservatives going back to the 1980s were not over race. They were over foreign policy, right? Right. I mean, so to say that the split came over race is simply untrue. Uh, naturally, paleoconservatives, particularly the ones from the South, who bitter about what happened to uh, to Mel Bradford, um, but you know they were they were not uh, defending Mel Bradford because they were racist. They were defending Mel Bradford because he was one of their group and because they liked him. And what was done to him by the neoconservatives was unconscionable. Um, so I, I really, I really don't see the, the, the attack on. Uh, moreover, as you said, in the case of Sam Francis, most of his writings have nothing to do with race, uh, and except for some speeches that he gave toward the end of his life, uh, uh, there's not. Well, in fact, if one wants to accuse him, you know, of bar, borrowing Marxist methods, sometimes it's perfectly true. Uh, if you read his his uh, his sociological. Um, uh, studies and his, his his study of Middle American radicalism and so forth, um, you know, he sound he could easily be be a, a leftist sociologist in at least some of what he wrote, uh, but you know, you don't find any racism there. So I, I I think the charge of racism has been used dishonestly and perhaps cynically by the neoconservatives to justify their um, their successful attempt to ostracize our side. <clears throat> Yeah, rather than debate us on the issues, especially if you start attacking the uh, military industrial complex or foreign wars, change the subject, call your opponent a racist. It's worked right. over and over again. Yes. Um, so it's par for the course. Well, anyway, I think we've covered this short article, this short review <laughs> of, uh, of your book in, 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 of, in, in fair amount of detail. Well, may I ask you a question? Do you think he actually read our book <laughs> uh, or ever read Sam Francis, because Alex Riley said no. He said there's no indication <laughs> he ever read he ever read these materials. Uh, I don't know. He he touches on at least a few different people within the um, 
within so maybe he paged through a few of them page through yeah i gotta be honest i haven't read i've only read a couple of these <laughs> i'm, I'm I, sure I, for time I did because i was the editor <laughs> yeah. <No choice. laughs> but you know i added in read chronicles every month so i know the stuff that's mm -hmm. in here so that's my excuse I'm, I'm hoping to get around to it and 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 our audience should also pick up this book uh and if they're interested in learning more about the topic Mm -hmm. uh, paleoconservative anthology new voices for an old tradition edited by paul godfrey just came out the end of last year i believe right yeah and as uh cj has a, has a long essay in that volume well it's half of what it was before you made me cut it so <laughs> but it's it's better for it so i appreciate the help but um yeah i, I did I, this is something that i said in response to some people tweeting this article out um what was bizarre to me is to summarize an entire book with a wide variety of different topics on constitutionalism mm -hmm. um, the nature of the older american way and there's all kinds of different angles that this book takes to summarize you know what it means to be a paleoconservative um, and it seems like he just looked through the index for references to <laughs> sam francis and then right. he called out that specific essay um but the idea that this book is chiefly um, some sort of like, you know, Francis uh, motivated, you know, racial book is is sort of a bizarre take on, on the book. Yeah, it's a strange way to read, uh, although perhaps not for a neoconservative, but uh, there was only one essay on Sam Francis, a relatively short essay by Pedro Gonzalez. Mm -hmm. And the rest of us wrote another top. I think you may, may have quoted Sam or I did in a few places. And they, but I mean, there's so many other subjects, you know, that the book deals with. Uh, yeah. But I, I, th I think he focused on that and he focused on class war and Sam Francis's racist comments, you know, in order to discredit our, our work <clears throat> and the paleoconservative side. It is bizarre that he would he would cite Russell Kirk. You know, he says that, um, you know, Russell Kirk sought to build a movement on the idea of the American founding, uh, which, of course, is true. But in doing so, he was he was trying to challenge the neoconservative hegemony in the, right. in the conservative movement. That was Russell Crook's entire take. I mean, if you read America's British Culture, uh, if you read that book, that's entirely consistent with the paleoconservative vision and not at all with the neoconservative one. And so is Roots of American Order. Right, right, right. Yeah, which right. is definitely yeah, he mentions Kirk in there, and, and that is interesting because Kirk is somebody who kind of moved into the paleoconservative camp right. over his mm -hmm. life, right? He very so, definitely was in the paleoconservative camp. Yeah, so, so to say that we're against Kirk is is also kind of, <laughs> it's just wrongheaded. Um, well, it, it is interesting to see this review, though, because it just shows that these lines still exist. And they're just <laughs> as, um, in, in some ways, we, we conservatives of all stripes work across lines and these distinctions, paleo, uh, you know, integralist, neoconservative, or whatever, they kind of go by the wayside. And that's probably good. Um, so we can get things done collectively, but the lines still exist. And it's good to have a reminder of that by by reading this essay. I remember I was down uh, south, Paul, at uh, meeting with some of our mutual friends and Don Livingston asked me kind of rhetorically, I think he said, do you still think that this neoconservatism matters? Or, or is it just to <laughs> get rid of all that? And I said, you know, even if they don't call themselves neoconservative, the defense industry will will make them out of the stones of the earth. They'll make them <laughs> they make them anew if they need them to serve a purpose. So these divisions will still exist, and it's good to be reminded of that. Yeah, what I think is interesting about this piece is a hit piece against the the, the paleoconservatives who don't count, right? <laughs> but he writes this hit piece, and I think the hit piece reflects the deep division 
between the paleoconservative. I mean, we obviously are very offensive to the conservative establishment, uh, even, even though they, you know, they've taken away our funding, they've uh, tried to cancel us on numerous occasions, but they're still bothered that we're around. I think this is, uh, so they have to occasionally order a hit piece on us. <laughs> Well, just as we're speaking, uh, National Review, their blog, they posted a very small, it's only three paragraph echo of the Law Liberty essay. It's by Bobby Miller. And he just said, what a great piece this was and recommends it. <laughs> so it's over on National Review. Yeah, if, if people want to support us, by the way, please do uh, subscribe to Chronicles. You can subscribe to chroniclesmagazine.org. This is the magazine that Paul and I edit. I think it's still, um, you know, it's one of the premier paleoconservatives still around. Mm -hmm. There aren't many institutions that are paleoconservative. So if our audience identifies with that, please support us with your subscription. And you'll get a, uh, a good magazine in the mail every month as well. Good. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for your time. And I'll, I'll have this up shortly. <laughs>